This insert is brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za. Welcome to today's show of Voice of Change with myself, Lauren Jacobs, and it is so good to be with you here today. I am really looking forward to the conversation and the topic that we are going to be talking about because we really are going to be talking and unpacking the purity culture movement, as it's become called, as well as non-toxic masculinity. And what does that really mean? In this world, we hear a lot about toxic masculinity and how you know, masculinity has been turned into something that has been taught in a way to us that has become toxic. And how do we undo this? What is our role? And as Christians, what role do we play in undoing the toxicity that has been handed down to us and that perhaps we ourselves teach or perpetuate and have maybe heard ourselves or really formed who we are. And so today's conversation is very, very vitally important. And so I'm going to be joined by Zachary Wagner, all the way out from Oxford in the UK. And he is a writer, researcher, a minister, and he also is now pursuing his PhD in New Testament studies at the University of Oxford. And he serves as the editorial director of the Center for Pastor Theologians. And his research includes Judaism, early Christianity, the Gospel of Matthew, New Testament masculinities. And he actually released his first book this year called Non-Toxic Masculinity, Recovering Healthy Male Sexuality. And so that's going to be our topic of conversation today. Of course, as we always do, we want to create conversations. And I hope that today is going to be a conversation starter, as well as a bit of a challenge to ask when we think about masculinity, when we think about sexuality, when we think about what we teach and how we teach masculinity in our churches, even within our families, and how we can be doing a better job. Because clearly, we see a lot of problems on the earth today around sexuality, around masculinity, and around the Me Too movement. And also, for those of you who don't know, uh, I know a lot of people feel uncertain about the Me Too movement, but a while after the Me Too movement, we also had the Church Too movement, hashtag Church Too. And if you go and read those stories of abuse that happened in churches and within Christianity, you'll begin to realize that the church and that as Christians, we are not exempt from following these things and sometimes for perpetuating abuse. And we have to be humble enough to have a look at this and uncover it. So Zach is going to be joining me after this. And a side note, I am struggling and fighting a little bit of the flu. So I pray that you'll have some grace with me. As for my voice, I hope holds up for this conversation, but I'm really looking forward to it. We welcome God's grace, mercy, and his presence with us today as we uncover a challenging topic and a conversation. So Zach is with me after this. I'm really looking forward to welcoming Zach onto the show today. And as I said earlier on in the show, I'm dealing with a little bit of a cold. So you all can say prayers for us while we're going to be doing our wonderful interview today. But Zach is joining me and he has such a wonderful perspective on what we're talking about today on this non-toxic masculinity. But before we get into that, Zach, it's so good to have you with me today. Welcome to the show. 
Yeah, Lauren, thanks so much for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Now, this is something that's actually really close to your heart and uh, something that you can speak about personally. And as a fellow millennial, I know that, you know, <laughs> I never grew up in in a church culture or around mm. the purity culture. But truth be told, I had so many friends that grew up within this culture. And these are male mm. friends, female friends. And the things that they're dealing with now in their lives are directly related to what they were taught. So tell us a bit about your upbringing, you know, what you learned about masculinity and, you know, sure. in faith and in the church and just within the purity culture that you and I grew up in. That was our time period. Although yes. things are changing now, it still very much is around. So tell us a bit about, you know, what you were exposed to, especially as a guy within yeah. the church. Let's be honest about what are the messages we are. Sure. Yeah. So I grew up. Um, was going through my kind of formative years of adolescence and college, kind of in the, I guess the whole decade, you could say, of the 2000s or the aughts. Um, I was born in 1991. Mm -hmm. So then I was in university from about 2009 to 2014. And in the states where I grew up in particular, there was this movement uh, that today is often referred to as purity culture, um, that I think was seeking to respond to the sexual revolution of a couple decades previous. And, mm -hmm. um, but uh, as it's characterized um, today, purity culture is often thought about and associated with uh, particular books or mm -hmm. uh, particular events that um, originated in the States, but I think were also exported uh, all over the world and uh, certainly to the church and the evangelical church all over the world. And um, this culture, as it's come to be described, placed a strong emphasis on premarital abstinence, holding off on uh, being intimate with anybody until you get married and then remaining uh, faithful, obviously, to that spouse in marriage. Um, but one of the things that I think received a very strong emphasis was this idea there, you know, there was a carrot and a stick in purity mm -hmm. culture, I sometimes say, where the carrot is, if you hold off on any sort of sexual activity or being sexually intimate until marriage, then your uh, intimate life in marriage, your sex life in marriage will just be fully satisfying, shame free, easy. Mm -hmm. And all everything will just kind of work. And uh, as we may get into, I talk about in 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 my story personally that didn't quite that didn't quite pan out. Um, and then the stick of purity culture is often this this idea that if you fall short or if you fall into sexual sin or if you fail to live up to this standard of premarital abstinence, um, the consequences will in every case be dire. Your life will kind of be. Mm diminished or your any possibility of a free and joyful um, or fulfilling or satisfying um, relationship to your sexuality or to another person sexually is just kind of ruined. Mm. Um, and uh, I think what we're seeing down the line is a lot of people coming to terms with um either the carrot or the stick not panning out in the way they were led to believe. So either, you know, the feeling I more or less follow the rules and now I'm still single, that spouse that I was promised has never showed up, 
or mm-hmm. I'm in a marriage that is very frustrating um, in my intimate life and it's not actually working in the way that I had hoped it would or I had been led to believe or perhaps um, for some people who are survivors of sexual violence or sexual abuse or trauma um, find that the kind of plug and play uh, formulaic approach of purity culture doesn't account for the complexity of their experience as it relates to their sexuality. And then again, on the flip side of that, I think there are plenty of people who, yeah, you know, I tripped up or I messed up and in quote unquote, in certain ways uh, earlier in my life. But despite that, I've worked through that. I've grown through that. And I feel like I've made it on the other side. Mm. And the kind of terrible things that were told by uh, these books or my parents or pastors or mentors or whatever the case may be, didn't quite pan out in this horrible, nasty way that um, I might have feared that they they would. Mm. Um, and or just looking around at others, you see other people who have made certain sexual choices in their lives and um, they don't quite seem like their lives are ruined you know Mm. like they seem Mm. perfectly happy and like they have functional marriages or relationships or whatever the case may be um and then to get to the last part of your question i know i've been kind of answering this for a while but Mm -hmm. the last part of your question in terms of the way things were communicate communicated to guys in particular or the way masculinity was framed within this culture um there's often an assumption it seems to me in a lot of the resources associated with purity culture that there is this kind of hypersexual uh essence to what it means to be a man or what mm. it means to be masculine that men have this intensely erotic uh, approach to and view of the world and uh part of the what i'm trying to do with the book that i wrote on this topic non-toxic masculinity is challenge the way the church has adopted what I see as sub-Christian cultural assumptions. Mm. Um, You kind of take the nastiest things and uh, most dehumanizing uh, frameworks associated with masculinity. And instead of rejecting those, I think sometimes the church has actually adopted them and baptized them in a certain way. Mm. And will say things like, God made men to be intensely sexual. And if a man sees a woman dressed in a certain way, he can't help but desire her sexually. Mm. And he uh, will have a hard time controlling that desire. So then men are told to kind of like lock it down and suppress their, you know, natural inclinations until they get married. It's kind of like keep it locked down and then get married and go nuts. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And then, uh, on the flip side women are often put in purity culture on like all the responsibility is put on women to keep men's behavior under control so this uh can translate to intense regulations around the way men and women interact or the way women dress um is another uh, common instance of this and it doesn't always place the emphasis where i think It often needs to be on men's responsibility to whatever, you know, my biology or my bodily urges or my experiences might be shaping me to react to in this situation. Mm -hmm. I'm still responsible to treat the people around me, men and women, 
like fully human being full human beings created in the image of god i can't just kind of use my masculinity as an excuse um well i'm a guy so i couldn't help but act this way or i couldn't help but think this way or i couldn't help but say this thing or do this thing to this other person because and this kind of gets to i think one of the really serious issues here it this hypersexual vision of masculinity i think leaves the door open to certain types of sexual violence and sexual abuse it gives men a free pass for compulsive sexual behavior when there are instances of uh sexual misconduct or violence uh it is often the woman who is first on trial um and the man is not held as responsible as he ought to be um so yeah long answer on all sorts of things <laughs> um, <laughs> i'll just uh maybe stop there for now and uh leave it to you to uh guide us in different directions or ask any questions that are coming up but but i love this because it's so important what you're talking about and uh, i remember being 14 years old and i wasn't uh, you know a christian i wasn't saved but we had bible study lessons in schools at that time. And uh, I remember some guys coming from a very well-known church in the area and they brought a bucket with them. I'll never forget this. I mean, this was a very long time ago. Well, not that long, but I mean like 20 years ago or something. Sure. And, uh, you know, they came with a bucket and they, they spoke to us about exactly what you're talking about. They said, you know, and they had like water in this bucket and it was a crazy analogy, but they said, if you, you know, sleep around before you're marrying, it's, you're giving parts of yourself away and they started taking the water yes. out of the bucket. And then eventually they turned the bucket upside down. There was nothing left. Yes. And, they were, and they were like, well, that's what you're going to give to your spouse one day, you know, yes. an empty bucket, yes. nothing. Yes. And I kind of remember being 14 years old and being like, but that doesn't make much sense to me. You know, <laughs> I'm going to, you're going to be bringing somebody nothing you know, nothing of yourself, like nothing. Yes. So everything was around, you know, intimacy was like, okay, mm -hmm. I get what they were trying to do. There was this message of like, don't mess around. It can be damaging, which is yes. true because I had friends that, that, you know, did do that. And the, the damage was there, especially when, you know, there were certain things that happened, but to kind of be like you bring nothing to your spouse yes. just because you were intimate with someone else before you were married uh, you know, maybe when you're younger and like you mentioned as well, sexual violations, that is such a damaging, shame filled message yes. to be teaching uh, anybody. You know, although we were young yes. teenagers, it's very damaging because I know people as well that are friends of mine that have struggled. And these are men with intimacy disorder now that they're mm -hmm. older because they were brought up in that culture and all they heard was sex is evil. You know, yes. and so there was that message of intimacy is evil. So when they got yes. married, just like you said, they thought, okay, well, it's no longer evil because I'm married. So it's good because this is what I was told. You know, sex is evil right. until you're married. <laughs> but then they were like, well, now I can't undo that thinking that's been given to yeah. me for the last 20 years. How do I tell yeah. my brain this is no longer evil because I'm married? I, yes. All I've heard is it's evil. Mm -hmm. So this is so damaging this is mm. really damaging messages but i i must say that i continue to see this and continue to mm -hmm. hear this as i'm sure you do as well and yes. uh, it's still being perpetuated and taught now somebody could be listening to us right now and getting really hot under the collar and being like okay so you two are now really 
encouraging young people to mess around, you know, because you're saying that this is not what, what we're teaching these young kids is not right. So what is right. the flip side of this, Zach? How then do we teach? I have, this is like one of the questions that I have, but how then do we teach about, okay, for, for, for girls and boys, for men and women, how do we teach yeah. a different message that's going, you're not an empty bucket, this is not mm. shameful, you know, this is not that message, but we do want you to understand that intimacy does have consequences. It, there could be yeah. things that happen or... Mm-hmm. You know things like that. What are the the what is the flip side of the messages then that we should be teaching to our children, or maybe kids in in churches and schools? There has yeah. to be a better way, I think, to be doing this. Yeah, I hope so. Um, and it is worth saying that I think a lot of what we describe today as purity culture, and like you say, this still exists in many ways, um, is very well intentioned. You you want young people to avoid um, making choices that perhaps they'll regret down the line or um, finding themselves in situations that are very painful or difficult or could lead to serious consequences. Um, you know, the the warnings that uh, people in the church and authors and pastors are giving us about sexuality are not idle warnings as you were saying like our sexuality is a a powerful thing and it is something that can lead to if you make um foolish choices about when you engage uh with someone sexually or um put yourself in situations that are not life-giving but um are in fact damaging that's not that's something we want to give young people guidance about but i think uh what i want to replace is is some of what you were saying with that bucket analogy it is this kind of damaged goods idea where Mm -hmm. our sexuality is something that we preserve and keep locked down and keep pure so as to give it as a gift to our future spouse it's this kind of like prize bride idea where it's these this untouched version is more valuable somehow than someone who uh, has had previous sexual experiences. And uh, it seems to me that while we certainly want to commend the Christian virtue of chastity, that idea that someone is more or less valuable because of their sexual experiences Mm -hmm. or history is not something we want to be encouraging in Christian circles, it seems to me. We want to instead um, be affirming the goodness of our human sexuality. It's a beautiful thing uh, created by God. And it's not like we're humans uh, who are good created in the image of God, but then sexuality is kind of this dirty, nasty part of us. Of course not. It is part of that good um, created uh, uh, just goodness yeah. Uh, of our humanity. And I think for men, especially, there can be this idea that my sexual desires are only dark or bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's not true. If, if from a Christian perspective, yeah. it's a, it is a good thing that you are a sexual being. It is a good thing that you experience sexual desires or experience sexual arousal. And what you do with that, it can be directed towards ends that are affirming of the humanity of other people or are dehumanizing others or using them um, for uh, selfish ends. Um, And uh, so I want to replace that purity paradigm where it's this idea that I am this kind of like pure unstained person and every sexual sin that I commit 
ruins me or makes me less valuable in some way. And I want to replace that with a paradigm where we think about ourselves as growing up into a mature expression of our sexuality. So, um, you know, you could make analogies for any developmental stage for a child's life, whether it's learning mm -hmm. to walk or learning to um, talk or um, even learning how to have healthy ways of expressing difficult emotions. You know, we yeah. teach toddlers not to throw temper tantrums. Um, that doesn't mean they don't experience frustration and anger, but hopefully as they grow up, they are no longer shouting and throwing things and hitting their mm -hmm. brother or sister. They have more adult and mature ways of expressing those frustrated emotions. And I think there's something similar that we can commend young people towards as it relates to their sexuality, um, that we can say it's not just about um, remaining, quote unquote, pure and never having any sexual feelings or sexual experiences, um, but it's about growing up into the virtue of chastity. And that's not... Um, that's not to say, you know, like, who cares what you do when you're younger? Because, mm -hmm. again, we want to balance this with the uh, uh, honesty about, um, you know, what we see as the Christian teaching or the biblical teaching about human sexuality, what it's for, what God created it um, for, what its purpose is, but also exhorting uh, young people to say this kind of out of control experience that you might be um you know, kind of learning to walk uh, with your sexuality is not what it's going to be like for the rest of your life. And you need to grow up into a more mature expression of this part of your humanity um, that doesn't look at girls and um, think about uh, the ways that their body can be in service to you and your selfish desires, but can view them as uh, young women created in the image of God and become the type of man who treats all people around you as their human dignity deserves. Um, so that's, yeah, that's getting, mm. it's, it's replacing the purity paradigm with an idea of growing up into maturity or growing up in Christ. Mm. I love that. And I think there's so much more to talk about as well when we talk about masculinity and, uh, you know, boys being boys and that's what we're going to touch on when we get back we're going to go to a quick song break but don't go anywhere because zach is still with me after this it's voice of change and it's myself lauren jacobs i'm sure you've been with us from the beginning and i'm joined by zachary wagner and we've been talking about non-toxic masculinity well for the first part we've really been chatting about you know the purity culture and the messages that we teach the messages ultimately that we've heard as well our own stories and also the ones that we continue to hear and what we need to be doing, how we can shift this, how we can change things. And Zach, I must say, you know, one of the things that you touched on before we went to the song break was really beginning to go into that area of masculinity, the messages that boys do hear. Mm -hmm. And I must say that a lot of the messages that we have heard throughout the years does really teach a very specific viewpoint of masculinity like you said earlier on you know that men are just always like we always hear men just think about one thing all the time yes. uh, you know you gotta you gotta understand that which inevitably isn't true we also hear messages like oh you know if a boy hits you it's because he likes you you know we hear that when we're little <laughs> which is ridiculous 
uh, or we hear things like, oh, boys will just be boys or the way even that we treat, you, you know, you were talking about toddlers earlier on, the way we treat little boys and little girls is very different even when mm. a little boy, you know, hurts themselves in the playground and I've seen mm. this and they they cry, you know, it's kind of like, oh, okay, we don't make this big deal about it. When a little girl does that, we're like, oh, come here, sweetie, and, you know, give her a hug mm. and everything like that. And my friend's little boy, he whenever he hurt himself or whenever he, and I thought this was really cute, whenever he felt sad, you know, when or anything like that, he would actually ask his mom for a Band-Aid. And uh, mm. so she used to use that, like, obviously, when he skinned his knees or something, but he began to connect the Band-Aid, or we call it plaster here in South Africa, with, yeah. uh, you know, uh, just uh, whenever his heart was sore, he would ask his mom for a Band-Aid and she would come and put it on his his chest, you know, and they would talk through his emotions. I thought that was really cool because it's also yes. got teaching that boys can be emotional, you know, and that's part mm-hmm. of that whole masculinity, toxic masculinity culture where it's like boys will be boys, they can't cry, thinking about sex all the time. This is what they are. And it's not true. And I want to say, and this is a question I'm going to post you as well. If we teach one-sidedness about masculinity, it is it can be so damaging to men, but also women as well. Because we're mm. saying that women never have any any sexual desires. They don't yes. think about sex. And it's like they they that's not who they are. You know, they are mm-hmm. the hunted and men are the hunters. And and that's another message that we have heard so many times. How damaging is this toxic masculinity to men? And how should we be replacing this? What is our what is our actual goal as Christians? Because still we have men's groups and men's conferences that teach got to be yeah. like Gideon. You got to be like yeah. Joshua, you know, but there's got to be a different way. And and I think yeah. many people are looking for that now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, something that comes to mind, I think so much of this um, and sadly so much Christian teaching on gender and sexuality does come down to like a um, a commending of stereotypes where we look around the world and we kind of either can see stereotypes or identify patterns and say, well, I know these five men or I've watched these TV shows or I've seen these movies mm-hmm. where men tend to be more obsessive about sex. And that's kind of a funny trope, maybe in a sitcom or something like that. Mm-hmm. But when we kind of totalize that as that's what it means to be male, a couple potentially dangerous things happen. I think one, it can, for young men and boys, can become a self-fulfilling prophecy, I sometimes say, where if that's the script that is set out in front of you, you know, you're a you're a boy and you want to grow up to be a man and you want to be cool like the boys who are older than you, or you want to kind of live into this model of masculinity that you see in the culture around you, you will see that part of performing masculinity means performing this kind of intense sexual desire. That's what it means to be a man. Um, And that then becomes shaped and formed in you. Um, And then uh, this goes back to this kind of boys will be boys mentality. Surely as Christians, we want to be telling young men, not just that you know, sexual desire is a beautiful part of being a man, uh, but also that that sexual desire needs to be channeled in 
um, respectful ways and ways that are honoring to the people around you. And here's uh, another thing that I think is often missed in these conversations in ways that are honoring to yourself. I think mm. if you are thinking of yourself as just this kind of sexual animal who is following uh, the, your instinct and you are not giving yourself enough credit as a moral creature who can uh, resist urges and resist temptations and um, make decisions that uh, are uh, based on a moral framework, not just your kind of instinctual urges. Uh, that's what it means to be human. It means to be someone who is a, a rational creature, not just mm -hmm. an animal. Um, and uh, that's, I think, from young ages, little boys can understand that, you know, other people's bodies aren't there for their amusement or enjoyment and other people's bodies don't belong to them. And there needs to be boundaries with their own bodies and with other people's bodies. You know, we can start on these messages early. Um, and uh, the flip side of it that you were also... Uh, talking about with women, I think there are cultural scripts having to do with sexuality and eroticism that women, particularly in churches and conservative spaces, often are shaped into where the kind of sexuality, uh, the the sexual desire becomes part of uh, the performance of masculinity. So then if women find themselves experience sexual desire, they feel like that's unladylike and they're like, oh, I better mm -hmm. suppress that. Yeah. And then I feel that I fear that becomes a uh, self-fulfilling prophecy where women then later in their life or in their marriage find that they've been suppressing their sexual desire their whole life and feeling like it's not a ladylike thing or it's not a feminine thing to experience. And then they're set up for struggle in their intimate life in their marriage. Mm -hmm. um, so there's kind of two sides to the coin here. And to sum up, I guess I would just say... Um, I understand why uh, men's ministries can be built around these stereotypes. You know, you want mm -hmm. to appeal to men and you want to connect with men on the things that they like or find interesting. But I don't think that's ultimately what we see commended in scripture, particularly in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. um, rather, we see Jesus and the Apostle Paul and uh, other uh, biblical characters. Yes, we have examples of characters that fit this kind of like heroic warrior masculine mm. mold. But I would say that neither Jesus nor the Apostle Paul fit that. Jesus uh, was gentle and lowly of heart. And he uh, said, blessed are the peacemakers. And uh, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians that God has chosen the weak things of this world to shame the strong. And he said, I will boast all the more in my weakness. Um, so there's not this kind of macho masculine strength there, but I think there's an acknowledgement, one, that um, to be a follower of Christ means denouncing the kind of power structures um, and the worldly strength that we often see commended in our scripts of masculinity in our culture. Um, and also acknowledging that not all men are going to fit that mold. Like some men will really connect with the kind of, you know, rough and tumble masculinity mm. um, that uh, is so often described as quote unquote biblical masculinity but there are other men who will be be more mild-mannered or artistic or expressive or emotional in their ways of living out uh life in the world and i don't think we should say those men are 
not godly men because mm-hmm. they don't fit the stereotype. And then on the flip side, I would say to women, you know, if a woman is finds like, you know, I kind of do like being outdoorsy or I do experience a higher degree of sexual desire than I think a lot of my uh, girlfriends do. That doesn't mean she's less of a woman or not a godly woman because uh, her personality doesn't fit the stereotypes. And I want to see us in the church um, find healthy ways to talk about perhaps some of the patterns of uh, sexual, of, uh sexual differentiation and things that we see and differences in biology but not prescribing those as this is what it means to be a godly man or this is what it means to be a godly woman but instead telling both men and women to pursue the virtues like the fruits of the spirit that we see uh commended uh by jesus and the apostles I love this. And I love what you're saying as well. And especially when we talk about stereotypes, you know, and stereotypes, even on the way that people look, you know, as a, as a woman, mm-hmm. you need to have certain length of hair, you know, or something like that, mm-hmm. or you need to look a certain way. And uh, if you don't, you're not very feminine or that's not, mm-hmm. that's not a very feminine thing just because you like wearing pants and you, you don't like wearing dresses, you know, and, sure. and just uncovering all these things as well. And it's so, so important. And, and I love what you were saying as well about there are many biblical characters that are different. I was thinking of, you know, John Mark and when he went on his first missionary, you know, journey with, with Paul mm-hmm. and, and, uh, he got scared and he was filled with fear and he, he ducked out, you know, he was like, okay, I'm mm-hmm. not doing this and went back home. And Paul was so upset with him, but you know, his uncle Barnabas was, was like, no, you know, let's just, Let's just, uh, you know, help him. Let's just be with him. And it's okay to sometimes feel scared or fearful. You don't have mm. to have this macho-ness about you all the time as well. And there's so many biblical characters, I think, and people that really speak to that. And uh, we can mm-hmm. learn from them, not just going, oh, you know, we got to be mm-hmm. like uh, the guys that we see in the movies that are macho, you know, and mm-hmm. heroic and the woman is waiting in the tower and you've got to yes. go and rescue her because there were a lot of those books. I mean, I'm sure that you and I, when we were younger, you know, we were probably exposed to some of those books where it was about, you know, men need to have this conquest and they've got to go yeah. on that rescue mission. And so that's the messages that you grow up hearing. And if you throw those messages off, you kind of get confused because you're like, what do I replace them with? So I love yeah. what you're saying to us as well. We do need to challenge these things. And I think that when we have different generations in the church as well, it is difficult because if we think about it, it was our parents' generation that was kind of really helping us understand this purity culture and these messages. But now we kind of throw them off and going, well, actually, we need to be doing this different way. So sometimes we can be rubbing up against each other. So advice for us, you know, in the church who are looking to change these narratives and to empower people around us and also love people and also just encouraging us to see one another as, you know, human beings that are equal and that we shouldn't be just teaching stereotypical messages that we've been handed down. So advice to us today who are listening from you, Zach, to go, mm. how do we do this when we have different generations in the church? We have we have the generation above us. We have millennials. We have the generation of Gen Zs who are also hearing different messages. How do we do this as we're uncovering this toxic masculinity and we want to 
take this away and have a non-toxic masculinity that we teach? How do we go about doing this? And I think this is probably a very big question. (laughs) Yeah, it is a big question. And maybe I'll just say one thing that comes to mind Mm -hmm. that relates to what we've been talking about already, namely to look back at the scriptures and try to look closely and be honest about what we're seeing there. Not say, here's what I believe about masculinity, or here's what I already believe about femininity. Because a lot of those categories, you know, from in the States, at least, can have this kind of like 1950s Americana vibe to it. And we just assume that's good and godly masculinity and femininity, or even kind of going back to Victorian, (laughs) Victorian England and the British Empire, perhaps, is a little more relevant for for your context. These ideas about masculinity and femininity that are relatively recent, actually, and we assume they're biblical. Um, But uh, I think some of the things I've already mentioned about Jesus and the Apostle Paul should just make us pause and think, well, what is the masculinity that we are seeing commended in the scriptures and maybe even rather than seeing just a single script say what are the different types of masculinities plural that we see um commended uh in the godly examples in in scripture and i think that requires a lot of humility both for the older generation who maybe has their certain ideas about masculinity but also for younger generations like millennials and down who are reacting against a lot of traditional modes. And we need to be open to have honest conversations about are there ways that we are overreacting? Are there ways that we are pushing too far away from, um, you know, good and designed differences between men and women without making those prescriptive? What are is the wisdom that we need from older generations or mm-hmm. older other, not just older generations who are living today, but Christians throughout the centuries who have thought about some of these things. Um, I just think looking carefully at the scriptures, trying our best to remove those kind of stereotype lenses that can often make us uh, see only what we want to see in the scriptures and not be challenged by them. And then I think approach uh, others uh, with humility, I I hope would lead to healthier conversations around uh, these topics. Mm, absolutely. I love that. And Zach, I want to say thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really, really so just gra- grateful today, filled with gratitude mm. that we can have these open conversations and that we can be challenged, all of us, uh, to really uncover what we've been taught, what we are teaching, what we will continue to teach others and to have that humility as we begin to unpack this. And so lastly as well, I wanted you to just tell people where they can grab well, actually, I should probably do that where they can grab a copy of your book <laughs> because you might not know here in South Africa, but Zach's sure, book, yeah. Non-Toxic Masculinity, it is available on Amazon if you're into ebooks, but also it is available at our Christian bookstores here in South Africa. And uh, you can grab a copy. And I think that this book is really going to be life-changing and life-giving for you if you do grab a copy. So Zach, I want to say thank you for being with me today. It's been a real joy to spend this time with you. And again, to be touching on a topic that I feel we really, really need to be talking about because there's so many mm. 
elements of it that we didn't even touch on today, but that we are seeing in our society that we need to start thinking about. So thank you so much and all the best to you for everything that you are doing and uh, for your book as well, and for these messages that are going out that God has placed in your heart. So thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure, Lauren. Thanks so much for the conversation. Certainly a lot to learn and unpack and it's exciting and I hope that you've been excited, maybe a little bit challenged as well. It's good to be challenged. I always say on Voice of Change, it's about having those hard conversations. And, you know, I think back to things that I heard and things that I've encountered around the purity movement and the culture and spending a couple of years as a trauma therapist, realizing and and just knowing that there have been messages that have caused great harm to individuals, individuals that were strangers to me, individuals that I know today people that I love and how they had to navigate finding the truth in God's word about who they are and especially when we talk about masculinity and I pray that we will be humble enough to learn from each other and as well as to learn how we are to teach masculinity how we are to model the truth of who Jesus is and who he was and how he lived in this earth and how he was when he walked upon the earth with his disciples the way that they were and to just think about what kind of biblical worldview and model we want to be modeling to our children our families and especially to our faith communities and so I pray that you have been challenged and changed and uh, you know if you feel a little bit uncomfortable that is also good because discomfort does and should cause us to think deeply so i pray that you will be thinking deeply about these realities today and so next week on voice of change i'm going to be chatting about the hidden bible crisis that we have in africa right now it's hidden because we don't talk about it often and it's really about this hidden bible crisis and the famine that africa is experiencing in terms of the bible it's very very important as well as one of our latest libraries that it's been built community libraries that is being built to encourage the change and to help children in the struggle that we currently find ourselves in as a nation with literacy children really up by grade four really 80% of them cannot read for understanding and it's it's shocking and it's a harsh reality so we're going to be touching on the projects that's been done in the communities for libraries and making books available to children to help combat the crisis that we have and that is not being able to spend time with our children enough to read to them not having access to books and again access is so vitally important and so next week on the show i look forward to being with you and my guests until then god bless and take care This insert was brought to you by Radio K Pulpit, 7 to 9 a.m. Please visit kpulpit.co.za.